0: Some new faces also. Uh, we're glad you're here to worship with us today. Uh, so we're in this message series called The Pilgrim's Life, where we're moving through the book of 1 Peter. And the key truth that helps us unlock the book is that Christians are pilgrims. And we're to live as pilgrims in this world. That is, as Christians, we believe that this world is an exile. Our true home is to be in God's presence where there is fullness of life and joy and peace. But now through the gospel, God is bringing us back home, bringing us back home to him. Uh, And that means the Christian life is a life in the middle. We are still in the world, but we're no longer of the world. So it's a life in the middle. And in the past few weeks, we've unpacked a bit what that means through Peter's help. That is, the Christian life, there's going to be adversity And yet there's hope, there's submission and yet freedom amidst it. There's going to be suffering and yet blessings. Unless we understand how all of that can somehow fit in into our lives because we're a pilgrim, then we'll never really understand our own lives. We'll never finish well. So it's absolutely crucial that we get this. Now, a pilgrim, you know, it is always somewhat different from the people around them who are not. You know, pilgrims and Christians live, work, and play with the world. But inside them, there's a different motivation, a different vision, a different kingdom that they're living for, and that makes all the difference in the world. Does it not? And Peter, in our passage today, this morning, he's going to show us how that actually changes us, how that transforms us. And more importantly, how do we stick with this new way of life, even through the rough days ahead? Let me read to you the passage from 1 Peter chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judge in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, in this passage today, you, you see Peter making a contrast here between two ways of life, two, two kinds of life. Notice in the first half, Peter's describing an old way of life. The, new, the old life, that is, there's immorality, there's idolatry. And in the second half, Peter describes a new life. It's prayer, it's love, it's ministry. It's a total transformation. That's the Christian life. The Christian life, is, it's a new spiritual life in you. And the whole Christian life is essentially just a journey out of the old into the new. You're unlearning, you're putting off the old self, and you're learning to live in to the new life. But that transformation, as you may know, is not easy, right? It's difficult. In fact, Peter says it's not just the internal struggles in you, there's external forces that you have to deal with. And therefore, Peter says here, You have to be prepared. Be ready for change. Be ready for what's ahead. Now why is that, and how do we actually do that? How do we actually prepare? There are three headings here. Let's talk about the transformation, the kind of transformation that Peter's talking about. Let's talk about the reaction that you should be expecting. And then lastly, what's the preparation? How do we prepare well? for what's ahead. Now, first, the transformation. Peter says there in verse two, the core transformation happens here. It's in verse two. He says, live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. He's saying there's two ways to live. You either live for human passions, or you live for the will of God. Or in other words, you either live for what you want, what the world wants, or you live for what God wants. You either live for yourself and for the world, or you live for God. Now, notice, first of all, that there is no third option here. There's no third middle option where you can somehow serve God and serve yourself. You can't say, I'm going to serve God, but let me get a little bit of this. You can't serve both God and money, God and family, God and myself. There's, there's, it's just not possible. The Bible doesn't give you, the, the Bible doesn't give you that option, right? Now, second thing to notice is the two choices is not whether I will live a bad life or a good life. The question is not whether I will be immoral or moral. That's not the main question. The main question of the Bible is, are you going to live for God and love him and worship him or not? See, Christianity, it's not about developing good morals and right conduct and getting that certificate from God at the end. It's not that. See, the Bible in other places says you can be thoroughly moral, thoroughly religious, and yet none of that will matter unless you're living a life with God at the center. And therefore, look, the main question is whether you're going to live for God. Because all the other transformation that happens, that happens after this. It's when you surrender yourself to God, then God's going to transform you. Then God's going to make you holy. He's going to make you kinder and braver and wiser and humbler. But that outer transformation begins in that inner worship, in that inner surrender. So Peter here is saying the transformation of the Christian life is when you say, Lord, no longer this. No longer me, no longer my desires, no longer my dreams, no longer these jewels, no longer this world. But here and now, Lord, I live for you. I will live for you, I will love you, I will worship you, I will serve you because you are the God who loved me and saved me. That's the decision that we have to make. That's the main decision. Have you made that decision? Are you, have you made that decision decisively and daily? Now, perhaps for some of us, you know, that's all that we need to think and pray about this morning, because without this, you'll miss the whole point. Nothing else will matter. Now, when you've made that, when you've made that decision, then the transformation happens. And see, Peter here in this passage shows us three ways that this transforms us. And we could talk about each one of this. We could talk about each one of these for an hour. We could go for a whole day, but I won't do that to you today. So let me just sketch you an outline of how that transformation can happen in you. First, Peter says, you start from living in drunkenness and drinking parties. Then you become someone who's self-controlled, someone sober for the sake of your prayers. Now, to be clear... There's nothing, drink, there's nothing wrong with drinking alcohol, right? Nothing wrong at all. It's getting drunk that's another thing. The, the only way you get drunk is if you indulge in too much alcohol, which means you've let go of your self-control. And then you get drunk, and in turn you lose even more self-control. Now why, why would we do that? Well, maybe it's because we want to have some fun, we want to have some bonding, we want to have some escape. Whatever it may be, the bottom line is, It's it's because you're living for what you want, for what the world wants. But then when you say, no longer this, Lord, here now for you, then the priority changes. The priority changes from wild partying to praying. And see, you can't pray unless you're sober, unless you're alert. Because you know, prayer is this wonderful thing, it's this incredible thing that it demands everything from you, right? Prayer requires you to be fully awake and fully functioning and fully alive to the presence of God. That's why it's so hard to pray. It it draws out everything from you. And therefore, look, if you are someone who's living for God and you're committed to praying to him, then you can't overindulge yourself with getting drunk. You have to be sober. You have to be sober and self-controlled. What? For the sake of your prayers, Peter says. Now, I'm looking around this room, I know many of you, I know you're not really getting drunk with alcohol, but perhaps the question to ask also is, well, okay, I'm not drunk with wine, but am I uncontrolled with other things, overindulgent with other things? Maybe it's gaming, maybe it's eating, maybe it's watching, maybe it's something else. That's, that thing is the reason why you're finding it so hard to pray. That thing is what's disrupting your prayers. You're drunk. You're drunk on that thing. And so the question, the decision you have to make is also this morning, will you say, Lord, no longer drunk on this, but I will discipline myself and devote myself to prayer in pursuit of your will. So that's the first. Now, the second transformation that you see is you go from living in sensuality and passions and orgies to someone who loves earnestly. So it's a difference from lust to love. Now here's the tricky part with that. Because if you take lust and you take love and you compare it, it kinda looks the same on the outside, right? Lust and love both looks at the person and longs intensely for that person. But here's the difference. Love looks at the person and says, I want you because I want to form a meaningful relationship with you. I want that friendship with you. I want that intimacy with you. But lust looks and says, I want you because I want to use you. I want to use you for my desires. See, in other words, lust really boils down to self-centeredness. That is, in lust, I look at you, but I'm only looking through you into my desires, into my so when you say, Lord, no longer for me, but for you, the more you do that, the more that self-centeredness in you melts. It melts. It can't live on, it can't be both, right? It, you say no longer what I want, what my passions want, but for what you want, Lord, and your desires. And that's what ultimately overcomes your loss. It's when you're focused and devoted to worshiping and pursuing and loving God with everything that you are. Yes, of course, you need the accountability to overcome your lust. You need the discipline. You need need people to come in and help you. Yes, absolutely. But what you need also is a daily deep worship of God. See, many of us are failing in lust is because we're training our eyes to avert it away from temptation. But we're not training it to look into Jesus, to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's why we're failing. That's why many of us are failing. You're not worshiping enough. See, when you do that, when you say, you have to say, Lord, no longer this on my passions, but here and now, Lord, I will live for you so that when I look at people, I'm not looking to use them. I'm not looking through them. I'm looking at them to love them, to serve them, to show hospitality to them, to create that space for them. See how that transformation happens? It begins in our inner worship. And in the third transformation, Peter says that we go from living in lawless idolatry to someone who serves, to someone who's serving in God's ministry. Now you have to understand that in the Bible, worship and service, they're always connected. They're always connected. That is, whatever it is I'm worshiping, that is what I'm gonna serve. We serve what we worship. So if I worship money, then I'm gonna serve money. I'm gonna work like crazy. I'm gonna burn myself out. I will be the burnt sacrifice in the altar of money, right? And if I worship sex, then daily I'm going to offer up my body to serve in his temple. Peter is saying, if you worship God, then serve his people. Serve his people. Use whatever gifts God has given you to serve his people, to build his church, to advance his kingdom. See, you can't say, oh, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but then do nothing, That's not the way way it works. God has commanded you and he's equipped you with a gift. Some of you have several gifts to do it, to serve. Instead of using what you have to serve your idols, use it to serve God, to serve his people, to do his mission. So that transformation happens, see? You become someone, a man or a woman of Prayer, a man and a woman of love and ministry and serving others. See, when you say I will live for God, no longer for myself, God now transforms you. And He's not trying to do some makeup on your moral behavior. He's not interested with surface behavioral modifications here and there, some kind of patrick. No, God intends to achieve a deep and complete transformation in us. A deep and complete transformation. Now, when that happens, here's why, here's what you should expect. There's going to be an equal reaction against that, an equal reaction against that. And Peter says here, look, he says that on the one hand, the world is going to be surprised that you do not join them. Now, the, the word behind the word surprise is actually a pretty stronger word than that. It means that to the world, when they look at you, they look at you as someone strange, Someone bizarre, weird, kind of crazy. Why? Because you don't join them. In other words, why in the world won't you join us? There's so much opportunities to enjoy, to, to find pleasure and comfort and money and power. Why don't you join us? Why not let loose a little bit and get drunk a little, you know? Let loose a little while, have fun. Why waste your time and talents doing ministry when you can do so many other things? See, to the world... It kind of looks strange and crazy. And you know, back there in verse six, it's a, bit, a little bit uh, difficult to understand, but here's what I think it means. See, it says there, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Now, that means these are people who had the gospel preached to them and they received it. So these are Christians, but these are Christians who have already died in Peter's time. And Peter is saying they are now, they're judged in the flesh. That is, the world looks at their corpses, their dead bodies, and here's what they're saying. They're saying, look at these Christians. They suffered. They denied themselves so many of the things that we enjoyed because they had some crazy belief. But look at them. They're just as dead, they're in the same graves as us. They're crazy. In other words, if this world is all there is, then the Christian is to be the most pitied of all men, Apostle Paul says. But if God's promises are true, and they are, then we live by the Spirit. See, Peter is being very realistic here. He's saying, look, if you decide to live for God, Then here's what to expect. Expect that this is not gonna be a war of the will, there's gonna be a war of sanity. There's gonna be a war, who's crazy here? There's gonna be a war of worldviews here. See, in the Christian world, in the Christian truth, in God's truth, the only proper and sane and wise way to live is to live for God. There's no other way. But outside that, outside that is that to the world, you just look kind of crazy. You're kind of weird even going against the nature of things even. And therefore, Peter says, they malign you. They heap abuse on you. You know, Christians get called ignorant and foolish, and crazy and weird, strange, bizarre people who, they kind of lump lump us together with people who believe in fairy tales, right? So, Peter is saying on the one hand, look, don't be naive this. Expect this. This is what's going to happen. The more you live for God, the more this is going to happen. Expect that. But on the other hand, look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, leave the judgment to God's hands. In other words, be aware. Expect that to happen, but don't get too preoccupied with that. Don't let that stop you. Don't let that divert your attention away from the will of God. You Christians, devote yourself to the will of God. Pursue that. Focus in on God. Don't be conformed to the world, though they put pressure on you, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that you may know that the will of God, as you do it, as you experience it, you come to see that, oh, wow, no, this is not crazy. This is the the wisest way, the only way to live. This is not ugly. This is not a kill joy. This is beautiful. This is fullness of joy. This is life. Devote yourself to that. Don't mind the reactions. Expect that, but don't get too much, don't, get, don't let that stop you. Don't let that preoccupy anymore. Devote yourself to the will of God. But, you know, that's going to mean there are going to be some very rough days ahead. It's, gonna, it's not going to be easy, right? In fact, Christians perhaps almost always are going to be some minority in your workplace, in your schools, So you're going to expect that it's going to be very difficult. How then do we prepare ourselves for that, to go through that and still live for the will of God? Well, we need the preparation, the preparation here. Now, how do we prepare? Well, Peter says it in verse 1 and 2. See, it says there in verse 1, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking so as to live for the rest of the time for the will of God. In other words, the key... To verse two is in verse one. The key to living for God is in verse one is to arm yourselves. With what? With the same way of thinking as Christ. When you look at Jesus Christ, you see that Jesus was prepared to suffer through it all, through all kinds of suffering so that he could live solely for the will of God. It's hard to understand, but Jesus lived his entire life with the cross in mind. He knew that at the end, he was going to suffer the most horrible, gruesome death for the will of God. And he was preparing himself for that. He prepared himself for that. He armed himself with the attitude that I will suffer and die for the will of God. And Peter says, do that. Be In the same way, arm yourselves like that. And you know, the key word there is to arm yourselves. Don't just believe it, arm yourself with it. You know, you think of a soldier, back at that time, you, they, out in the battlefields, they are in tents and their armor is there, but before they leave their tents, they put on their armor and they go out to the battlefield to fight, prepared to suffer, prepared to die. They don't arm themselves when the arrows are already flying. And when the enemy is charging, no. Even before they leave their tents, they're armed and they're armed to the teeth. See, you know, when we become Christians, we learn all these wonderful truths. We go to Bible studies, we go to these seminars, we we listen to these messages. Wonderful. And we believe them. Hallelujah. A question though is, are you armed with it? Are you armed with it or are you just believing it? For example, you know, you may know that God is, God loves you and his love is unfailing. His love is better than life, and his love silences all other things. You believe it, but then when people criticize you and they reject you, what happens? Do you feel terribly depressed? Do you feel that you want to lash out in anger? Then you may believe that God is loved and God loves you, but you're not armed, (laughs) and the arrows are flying. It's inside the tent, your arms. Or another example is maybe you know that God is wise and he has the best plans for you. And so, you know, you follow him, you follow him, but then everything falls apart. What then happens? Do you get paralyzed with worry? Do you shout back at God in anger, Lord, I did everything for you? See, then you may believe that God is wise and he has a best plan for you, but you're not armed with it. It's in the tent. You have the greatest spiritual weapons, but it's not with you at that moment. And so we need to arm ourselves now, perhaps right now. Arm yourselves with the armor of God. Arm yourselves with the mindset of Christ while you have the luxury to do so. While the light in your eyes is still bright, you know, and the days are good, arm yourselves now. Prepare yourself. To follow Christ into his suffering, into his cross. That's the path to glory. That's the path to the crown. You know how to do that? Well, of course, I won't won't be able to go into too much detail here, but mainly is through your spiritual disciplines, right? You take your Bible, you read, yes, but don't just believe it. You have to arm yourself with it. Right, So you, you have to think it out. You have to ask yourself questions about this. Honestly, sincerely, fully ask yourself questions about what the Bible is saying. You have to pray it in. See, and what you're, what you're really doing is you're holding out your arms, saying, Lord, what is the armor for today? And then you have to arm it. You don't just take it. You arm yourself with it, right? One passage at a time, one day at a time, one one prayer at a time. And some days... You know, the wind blows, the Spirit of God comes powerfully and something in your soul just bursts into flames and, you know, you come up armed to the teeth. Wow. You know, some other days that doesn't just happen. I mean, you don't feel it. What do you do? Just continue on. Arm yourself with whatever you have. Whether or not the commander general is here or not, you arm yourself like a good soldier prepared for battle, prepared to die. Prepared to fight to the death. And see, what Peter says here is, those who arm themselves like that and they suffer like that, it says they are those who have ceased from sin. Now, that doesn't mean that you stop sinning. Of course not. Of course not, right? The Bible says that's, that's just not the case. But what does that mean? Well, it means that you're just done with sin. I'm just done with it. I don't want anything to do with it anymore, right? In other words, the commanding voice of sin no longer yanks you around. Sin no longer has this attractive power in you. You're done with it. In other words, you say, I would rather suffer than sin. I don't want it. It's too ugly. It's too dangerous. It's too destructive. I'd rather suffer than sin. Now wait a minute, what causes that to happen? What causes you to happen that you arm yourself in such a way that you'd rather suffer than sin? Well, Peter says, it's right there in the very first phrase, Peter says, Since Christ suffered in the flesh. The way for you to arm yourselves like that is to think about what Christ did for you on the cross. It's that simple. That is when you feel as you live for God and you feel when people ridicule you and mock you and kind of make fun of you behind your backs, you think about what Christ did on the cross. Think what Christ suffered in the flesh because he himself was made fun of and ridiculed. He himself was mocked and made, you know, ostracized and alienated by the peoples. See, when you feel that you're being maligned and they heap abuse on you, remember what Christ suffered in the flesh. He was stripped down, naked, humiliated, spit on. And on the cross, they put a crown of thorns to make fun of him. They put some kind of sign on top of him. It's like, it's like you know what the bullies do and they put signs on you? It's like that. Christ suffered in the flesh. Think about that. Remember that. Go back to that. Because why would he do that? Because he's living for the will of God. And the will of God was to save you. It's to redeem you. It's to take that so that you don't have to take that judgment on you. And so Jesus arms himself to the teeth. Arms himself to the teeth so that he would suffer to the uttermost so that he could save you to the uttermost uttermost. He did that for you. Christ suffered in the flesh for you. See, when you see that, that's what causes you to arm yourself in such a way. That's the basis. That's the power that that kind of dissipates the power of sin over your life. Because how could I sin against him who did that for me? How could I do that to him? Sin just kind of loses its flavor. Ugh. To, do, to sin against him who died for me like that, no more. I'm done with sin. I'm gonna arm myself. I would rather suffer than do that to him. You know, at the end of Lord of the Rings, <laughs> uh, this is both in the movie and in the book, there's this great big battle, right? And one of the hobbits, Mary... He's running around scared, he's surrounded by these big evil warriors, scary warriors, running around panicking, he's hiding, and suddenly he looks up and he sees Lady Eowyn standing between him and the biggest baddest of them all, standing ready to die, standing face to face with that monster. And then here's what happens to Mary, here's what the book says, here's what happens to Mary. The slow-kindled courage of his race awoke, and he looked at her and he said, "She should not die alone." Then he rose up and he did his great deed. See the Christian life. That's it. You look up. You look at Christ stand between you and the, and the evil that you could not face the judgment that you could not face Jesus stood between you and that and he stood face to face with that he stood ready to die for that to suffer through all of that for you look at that and let what he did what he suffered for you let that kindle the courage in you the worship in you so that you would rise up and do your great deed and you would arm yourselves arm yourselves to live for God, to suffer rather than sin. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in order that in everything all praise and glory might be to God through Christ. Amen. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you. We just genuinely thank you, Father, that your will is not to abandon us, it's not to leave us in our sins, but to save us, to take us out from that dreadful enemy, that your will for us is not to stop at death, to lose to death, but to redeem us out of it, to overcome death, to swallow it up in victory, So Father, we pray because Christ suffered in the flesh for that sake, for our redemption. Father, arm us now, teach us, help us, instruct us, remind us to arm ourselves, to follow Christ into his life of suffering and the cross so that we may come out of it into your glory. Thank you, Father. Amen. Now, at this point, we would like to invite everyone to sit there just in silence. Now it's your time to personally respond to the Word of God in repentance and faith. Pray your prayers to Him. And we have on the screen some questions that you might want to help reflect on this message. So let me give you a few moments to silently reflect and pray to God.